0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the IoT for All podcast. I'm Ryan Chacon, and on today's episode, we are going to talk about the unforeseen challenges and trade-offs when it comes to bringing an IoT product and solution to market. With me today are two members of the Sorcom team, Ryan Carlson, the head of digital marketing for North America, and Kenta Yashukawa, the co-founder and CTO. Sorcom is a worldwide provider of cellular connectivity for intelligent devices. Please subscribe to our channel, Uh, hit that bell icon so you get the latest episodes as soon as they are out, and give this video a thumbs up. All right, but before we get into it, we have a quick word from our sponsor. Silicon Labs, a leader in secure, intelligent wireless technology, has launched their 2023 Tech Talk schedule. This year's Tech Talks include dedicated technology series for Matter, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and LPWAN in order to help you build the development skills needed to deliver cutting-edge IoT products. Join Silicon Labs experts and industry leaders for these one-hour live virtual trainings created for developers by developers. Accelerate your device development today by registering at silabs.com. That's the letter S, the letter I, L-A-B-S.com welcome ryan and kenta to the iot for all podcast thanks for being here this week
1: no problem thank you ryan c (laughs) it's funny because we both are ryan c so absolutely that's not challenging so no you're absolutely (laughs) welcome We're, we're excited to be here and participate
0: yeah, and Kenta, it's great to have you back. I know we've we've done this before together, so it's great to have you. It sounds like a lot of things, exciting things are going over going on over at Sorcom. Um maybe you can kick us off by just introducing yourself again, talking about the company a little bit, and then Ryan jump in, give yourself an introduction as well.
2: Yeah, sounds good. Um yeah, definitely thank you for having me back again, Ryan. Uh it was uh a, a little bit of time ago uh that we did this together. And the, uh I'm so excited being back here. Uh, yes, let me uh, talk a little bit about uh, the company and myself. Uh, we are a company called Soracom. We offer a smart connectivity platform so that the uh, anybody who has an idea with connected products can uh, get started on uh, connecting them, those devices to cloud environment and uh, make sure uh, everything uh, works smoothly and also secure. Um, and they can uh, accelerate our, their, their project by using our platform features. And I'm CTO and co-founder of the company, and I've been uh, working with the exciting customers and partners to be able to make the world a better place by joining forces with everyone together.
0: Fantastic. Ryan, you want to give a quick introduction?
2: Yeah, uh, I'm Ryan Carlson.
1: Uh, I've been in the IoT industry for about 23 years. Uh, Much of it was actually building products in the commercial space, so car washes, laundromats, retail facilities, and uh, have then also been suppliers, IoT platforms. So I've kind of seen all the different angles of building, creating, marketing, selling, and have made more mistakes than I'm even happy to admit. Uh, But that's (laughs) how we all learn, right? Uh, I'll say you can't tell people what to do. You can only share your relevant life experience, and right. that's why I'm looking forward to today's conversation.
0: Yeah, I've been looking forward to ever since we kind of um, kind of put our brains together to figure out you know what would be make a good good episode for our audience given um, the experience you both have, um, and I I know we kind of settled on talking about the unforeseen challenges and trade offs that come with bringing an IoT product to market, um, and I thought it'd be good for us to kind of break that down based on the stages of of development from. The early exploration through the prototyping, all the way, you know, kind of to the commercialization of it all. Um, so maybe what we can do is just start with those early stages. So early exploration, design, up to the, the the prototyping and pilot stage, and just kind of walk us through, from each of your perspectives, how you see or what you see are some of those unforeseen challenges and trade offs that happen throughout those stages that would be good to kind of educate our
1: audience on and to be on the lookout for and, and how to overcome them. Great. I think that it's worth setting the stage by talking about the seasons that a project and a product team goes through uh, there. So this is a, a loose framework that I've used in the past. Everyone can map their own process and labels to however they wish. But I think of it as exploration, validation, acceleration, and commercialization. There's a lot of shuns. <laughs> in exploration, this is where it is an early idea. Uh, we may not even presented it to the internal team. There may be no budget. Someone went to a conference, saw an idea, and so exploration is also sometimes thought of as discovery. And it's where you are now gathering the information that you need to kind of build that initial business case. You may have very few resources to support you in that effort. Validation is where we're going to have the proof of feasibility, the proof of business viability. So there's... Two tracks that kind of run parallel in most businesses. You're building out the business case and then the technical case. Uh, Then acceleration is where we're typically, we've gotten funding, we've got a lighthouse customer, there's probably some field testing using prototypes, uh, you know, you're kind of cobbling things together, Uh, there's some pilots, maybe some early alpha, and that's where you're really proving to the customers that have you done the things you need to do before you go and do your first article of manufacturing. So somewhere in that process, you're ramping up to commercialization and commercialization is where most companies end up kind of running the gambit. So let's start at the first season and exploration and where I think the unforeseen situation or the the, the circumstances, uh, I'd say the first one is shiny syndrome. And that's where you... I mean, just think chat GPT, you know, someone's like, oh, well, we've, we've got to do something with X, Y, Z technology. We're building a connected product. Well, we've got to use the latest carbon dingulator or whatever it is (laughs) that came out. And there's a lot of waste without actually thinking through the, the, the business case. And now this is all like elementary. Yeah, of course, Ryan, everyone knows you don't go running ahead. But I want to think about that exploration to validation to acceleration, that whole track as two separate tracks, a technology engineering track, and then that business track. The unforeseen danger that I've seen in dozens of of projects is when one of those tracks skips too far ahead in the process. And so let's all think about those projects. If we run too far ahead on the technology track, we're running with a prototype, maybe even putting something in the field. We haven't thought about how much it costs, how much we're going to charge, what the size of the market is, or even who else thinks it's going to be neat other than the person that built it on the, on the test bench. Right. So the further you jump ahead, the more risk that gets introduced. It's also the opposite, too. Vaporware comes from someone with an idea or a big idea running out ahead and pre-selling the thing, right? You're almost a commercialization and engineering is just catching up and it introduces a significant amount of risk, right? So I would find that exploration is where it's important, where sometimes you have to slow down in order to speed up, Mm. right? So my experience has been be, be aware of uh, how far down the road you are and and I've seen it's most often engineering has run ahead with a big idea and you miss very important business requirements regulatory hmm. pieces um, certifications and even legal uh, it's unfortunate that legal uh, at the legal counsel at a company I was at uh, a couple couple places back uh, said Yep, I'm I'm pretty much the last person that that anyone talks to and I, I re- it's, it's actually almost kind of sad. They're like, I really wish someone would have come in, yeah. you know, early on because mm-hmm. I could have told you that, you know, XYZ, you know, this consideration, that consideration. Right. Um so yeah, maybe you consult internal legal. Uh, early and often <laughs> uh, when, it, when it's a new new idea. Well, it,
0: it's funny because like even even on the, that's a common co- uh, comment I've gotten from security companies too, where they sometimes have come in, been brought in later. And it's partially because they, people don't, aren't thinking about security early on. It's changing now for sure. But um, when you mentioned the legal situation, it reminded me of conversations I have with some security companies where they've been brought in later and it's be- caused lots of problems and become pretty expensive for companies to kind of go back and, and make changes on the security side. Um, Kenta, from your perspective on that exploration phase, what are some of the challenges and trade-offs that you see and um, are, are worth noting?
2: Yeah, Ryan uh, made a good point about the uncertainty in the exploration phase. The uh, As a platform service provider, uh, the we have uh, covered all the life cycle stages in the product development. And the, during the first season uh, that he mentioned, there can be uh, many Unknown parameters and developers and businesses, they need to uh, adapt the direction, adapt the ch- changes, and also they are uh, uh, change the course de- depending on what the, what what's they are discovering uh, as as they move forward. So uh, in that stage, they cannot predict you know how many devices will be sold or how many uh, how much data is going to be used and things like that yet. And often when they, mm. when you uh, prototype on IoT devices, and especially when you, you need to use the uh, external connectivity service like cellular or LP1, uh, you need to contract with uh, some uh, service provider. And if you are asked like a questions like, "Okay, so how many devices are you going to have, and how much data you're going to use," you can't really answer. And even if you answer something, it can sure. be totally wrong. when you deploy. So because of that, as a platform, we we have a a, a totally transparent pay-as-you-go model uh, for everyone to get started easily. And they can pivot uh, usage or uh, the number of devices anytime. We just, uh, you know, Mm. accommodate all the changes and customers can just uh, pay what they use. So by using that, uh, they can actually, you know, get started without having a fear of uh, failure in, in case they need to pivot, they can, um, the, the you know, we can just adapt to it. And also uh, if, when you st- start the exploring phase, you may not know uh, what kind of, you know, cloud backend to use or what kind of uh, systems to build. So uh, we have mm-hmm. uh, features to uh, make it easier for uh Sending data and storing them and the visualize on the dashboard, so that the, you you can actually uh, focus on how the devices work and how kind how the data they are collecting look like and what kind of a user interactions right. you may have in the early stage of the exploration phase of the project. So uh, by having all these, you know the the platform support to be able to adapt to changes. I think that's an important thing in the early phase of the uh, IoT projects, yep. or any kind of connected product development. Absolutely. Something that you'd mentioned there, Kenta, that that
1: um, brings up a little PTSD for me, was uh, <laughs> uh, a, smart pump, a, a smart pump deployment that was being put out into the world. Uh, cellular, in a lot of the projects, is something that is that's something you just wait till the end. So there's not a whole lot of discovery. It's like, well, yeah, of course there's going to be regions where we deploy, and it's and it's outside uh, of that area. And so the test engineers were testing both cellular in where our R and D facility was. So all of the all of the testing was done where a cellular tower is right across the street. And so some of the early the early discovery or the early exploration. Uh, was just assuming that you had excellent bandwidth, almost no latency, all of the speed that your corporate connection could provide. And then when they, and then when it was lighting up the the radio, it was picking up at a radio that was just right across the street within a metropolitan area. But when we had to go to the outer reaches of Canada, um, you know, even at the prototyping phase, uh, it was prototyping in a parking lot. We didn't prototype out in the wild and understanding how latency or understanding how the uh, the real world scenarios. And so I'd say during that exploration and validation stage, one of the dangers is assuming that the R&D that's being done on the test bench uh, isn't bringing in some of these uh, interference, machine noise. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in the car wash instance, we, we used our first wireless uh, card readers out in wash bays. And if anyone knows about RF, uh, water is an excellent way of absorbing radio frequencies, right? It's also great at absorbing uh, uh, um, radioactive uh, material as well. But uh, when you think about a car wash bay where the self-service ones where a bunch of air and mist, you know, misting is going up in the air, that, that accumulated moisture was dropping the wireless signal down drastically. And so, it meant looking at an entirely set, a different set of repeaters, which were not specced early on. We had to go to a whole different type of commercial grade. And so all of the pricing that was done at the point, because we would run them, but we never ran and like washed cars and tried to do it at the same time. Hmm. So it's that, that idea of thinking through a lot of those other variables, which are unforeseen is the environmental conditions. Um, or doing cabling, uh, if you're doing if you're doing IoT and you've got data lines, uh, something that caught us at least six different times where we'd flown a technician out to do an installation, and we found that fluorescent lights, if you're running lengthwise and then the fluorescent light bays were going in an opposite direction, it creates a, a an interference for Ethernet for RS232 and introduced noise in on a data line, and so. These are the things that you lose days of downtime, uh, putting people up in hotels, and then it's the goodwill of the customer and they might even be a prototype uh sure. you know one of those early beta testers. so uh, yeah, in i I think in the environment wins on this one. Mother Nature sure. kicks my butt every time,
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, so if we move into those next few, I actually have something I want to come back to at the end of these four phases, we're um, kind of seasons that we're talking about here. But if we move into the validation and then the acceleration side, where are some are, what, how should we, the people think, be thinking about those challenges and trade-offs? Like how does, what changes once you get past exploration into now validation, into acceleration and going from there?
1: Validation and acceleration depend on every project, but okay. usually between those two, is getting the green light from the boss, the corporate. You're given the, you know, it's usually stage gate uh, two or three in a corporate setting where you officially just got money to really go go forth and and make a make a run at it. You probably have a project manager. You're given some uh, engineering resources. Right. So early validation is usually a small team, maybe even a, a pet project. Okay. Acceleration is there's now a team behind you and, and there's eyes on that project. So the performance of that project uh, can make or break careers as well.
0: Yeah. What I've seen in the past is um, where we talked to a lot of other companies and experts who have said in that early stage, kind of this validation stage you're talking about, it's really important to ensure that there's some level of alignment between that small team and the stakeholders, um, at least at a some level. Obviously, they need to be knowledgeable that you're doing this. but ensure that you have kind of set out what you think the ROI is going to look like, what success metrics are so that when you do get to that ability to accelerate forward and get towards scale and so forth, you have their support and you're not kind of starting from scratch and trying to kind of now sell this back into them to explain why there's value here, because that definitely can derail any momentum and progress that's been made and the investment that's already been put forth. So how do you all kind of think about that? And and I'd be curious just to kind of get your opinions on how people can kind of go about getting that buy-in in in that validation stage so that when they're ready for acceleration, there's less of a delay and they can kind of progress forward. That's a good question. Kento, what do you think?
2: yeah definitely you know when it comes to uh the validation and acceleration phase there's a the checkpoint to pass um, and the uh, def- the one important thing to do uh, during the verification phase is to have a, a poc available a successful poc and mm-hmm. uh, demoing that to stakeholders and posi- and uh, preferably also with the potential users in the target audience uh, to get feedback and you know if the 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 feedback and all the stakeholders uh, opinions are uh, positive it's going to be smoother uh, uh, towards the uh, acceleration phase but if there are uh, some yeah. you know things to adjust again uh, you know it's 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 just a uh, you know uh Always the case that, that there can be something to fix, you know. And w- what is important is you you don't get afraid of uh, getting negative feedback at that stage. It's it's always sure. the case that you there is something to fix before moving forward. So uh, you know, having that mindset. And also uh, uh, welcoming all these negative feedbacks or constructive feedback and apply that that to the POC before acceleration uh, is an important thing. You know, if you once you accelerate it and rega- realize the uh, the uh, something to fix, uh, it's gonna be much more costly and uh, affect the project timeline longer. But if you uh, can detect that and Verification phase and fix it, and uh, then accelerate. Then it's going to be much more smoother and efficient. Right. So that those things are I important, found that and it's best. kind of similar to software development process. But um, it's some of them can be applied to hardware product development as well. Sure. Sorry, Ryan. Sure. No, no problem. Uh, it was something that
1: you were, you know, the the proving it to the stakeholders. Uh, I find that one of the best pieces of advice is to create some sort of visual output, a simple dashboard, something that is tied to a business outcome. And I've seen predictive maintenance uh, or like pump monitoring or motor vibration monitoring, uh, various initiatives where it's just starting with, we picked the most troublesome asset in this facility. And it's the one that gives us an issue every week. And the output is something that the executive team would see was something as simple as red, green, yellow. And right. if it's green, it means we're making money. If it's yellow, it means check engine light. We have we already know that we've got people on it. Red means something is wrong. Hmm. Right here, this is just a simple visualization that says everything is okay, or, you know, this on this on this right side it shows just the number of events going up it's just a visual cue versus getting into the the waveforms and the algorithmic uh, <laughs> uh insights of the different sensor data and readings like it's very easy to lose uh, a, a stakeholder when nobody wants to buy a sensor they want to buy understanding of what's happening in mm-hmm. a particular situation right so uh I think the story of what does it look like one year in the future if everything's going well is oftentimes lost, especially mm-hmm. when it's an engineering-led project, uh, especially if it's a passion project. Uh, it's it's important to equate it into how does this help you know, the internal process? Yeah, building, that, line, business right, yeah, building it, that business draw case. Yeah, drawing a business right. case. Exactly. Yeah.
0: Uh, How do what is from your all's experience when you've worked with companies and they've maybe. You know, or maybe you have run into this situation when you're talking to companies is they have potentially outdated opinions and biases and things that are attached to IoT, the different talent technologies associated with IoT, bringing this into their you know established kind of companies and, and processes. How do companies? How can companies kind of be thinking and approaching that prior to going down that road? Because I'm sure a lot of our listeners run into that where they're talk to a potential customer or the team that they're working with at a, a company is now going and selling this back into their you know to their to their uh, management and they have to combat management's you know outdated opinions biases kind of cons- things that maybe are not as accurate how do you advise them and how do you kind of approach handling that or being prepared to handle that
2: <laughs> one thing that i if you uh, don't I, have I, some th- if that, that- Oh, one thing that uh, you made right, me Keta. think of regarding that is that you know the the stakeholders and management may not be the the actual users of the product or application that you are building. Right. So the even if you get a, a feedback from them, uh, it may be may not be right. So even if even if when we are building some feature, I might I may not be the right person right target user of the new feature. So one thing that I'm always encouraging the team is to go to a customer and who is actually going to use the, the feature and get their feedback and uh, work from there. Sure. So what we do usually is to uh, build something quickly after listening to customers' conversation and pain points in the development and uh, build something and then uh, offer to the customer and get feedback. That will be more accurate Feedback than you know anybody in a inside company or engineering team, so that's uh, what I would recommend.
0: That's a really good point because we've framed it in this way in the past, where it's building kind of from that end user backwards when you start venturing down this path, you know, figuring out where the real pain points are, talking to those people and framing it from there, ta- bringing in the business case, Ryan, that you mentioned. Um, but and but just kind of working backwards from there as opposed to working from the technology forward, usually it, it kind of helps tie the real pain point, the real need for this to the, the people that internally that you're trying to get there, but they're buying from um, because you're actually talking about real problems that exist because you're collecting them from those end users. Um, but Ryan, what do you think? I know you were, you're going to kind of jump in there before Kenta.
1: I was going to say that when we say customer understand that it is an incredibly loaded statement. Sure. I'm, I'm going to a customer there are buyers and users and they are rarely the same person, especially in B2B. So when we are speaking to a stakeholder, they are usually in the buyer or an influencer. Hmm. Then there's the users and then there's the beneficiaries without having the voice of either one of those users or those beneficiaries to speak on behalf, you know, the uh, safety officer within a plant. They are someone who is a beneficiary of that safety equipment that's used for the users and is going to help build the justification Mm -hmm. for the buyers uh, in order to do that, right? like we need to bring these numbers down, we get these fines, we have to meet this compliance, Right, failure to meet compliance equals X, Y, Z. You know, there's all of these, uh, it's just as much sales as it is product research, as it is user research. And so, you know, at this stage, we're still talking about trying to get the product into the field. So from exploration to validation, this is all still, you know, the development process. I think the most interesting part of this entire conversation is the commitment to put the product into the market and live with that commitment, mm-hmm. right? So when we go from acceleration, which is build the first article, do the initial testing, and now we're starting to bring marketing, we're bringing compliance, we're bringing distribution, channel, sales, training, all of those things, we now have to start thinking about, oh. oh This product is going to be out in the world at scale, and this is where I'd say the most landmines exist. This isn't why products fail. It's why companies don't make another connected product. It's a reason why companies fail to scale to their potential because they're limiting themselves in a couple of key areas. One of these areas is... uh, around the ability to deal with your connected equipment out in the field. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to let Kenta speak to the technical aspects, but when you deploy your first or second generation, your first generation of hardware in the field, when I was uh, shipping uh, little devices out to car washes, vacuum islands, fragrance stations, air filling stations, anywhere that you would need to have this wireless device that would control payment. The number one, Unexpected cost was overnight shipping. And everyone's going, why are we paying? So we pay a ton of money for shipping, but overnight shipping. And we looked at every time there was a new firmware release or a new product release. And we were shipping out equipment that was meant to run someone's key critical factor within their business. And when something wasn't going wrong, we had no ability to diagnose that device remotely. We had no way to push any sort of updates. And so we'd have to pre-program a bunch of modules, hmm. put them in an overnight box, put a pre-packaged label and ship it out. And that got really, really expensive. Sure. And so uh, what's been fascinating to hear Kenta talk about the work that uh, he's done at Soracom is uh, putting some of that remote access right out of the box. So right. Kenta, what's been your experience with that?
2: Yeah, you know, uh, if you have done uh, some software development, you know that, you know, you, when you write the code, it can never be the perfect one at the first write. So the you have to always, you know, debug and uh, fix it and then uh, update and then deploy. So uh, we have... We, you know, my, my my background is actually cloud solutions architect and also the cloud side development. So the that process is, you know, uh, in my mind all the time, and many of our engineers as well. But when it comes to like a hardware product product development, it's usually you know impossible after shipping the device. You know, you can't really touch it and you can't update it. So that kind of you know the, the uh, minder of updating software. Uh, all the time or remotely accessing the devices to troubleshoot uh, may not be always kind of in everybody's mindset but we uh, we strongly encourage everybody to think about uh, the hardware uh, development as in a way similar to software development no no firmware can be perfect from day one and there will be right. problems that's the that's the nature so you have to be ready for uh, help you know handling that kind of situations so uh, remote access that uh, ryan mentioned is the one important thing once the device is deployed in the field you can't always get to the device and connect the usb cable and troubleshoot so uh, you need to mm-hmm. have a way to remotely access and what is important in that case to think about is security you can't just open the remote access port to the world everybody on the public internet you have to be Able to securely access the port, and only you and admins should be the ones who are connecting that port, no no one else. So, uh, you know, we talked about all these remote access with many customers, and they said, okay, uh, I I know that importance, but we can't build it by ourselves. How, How should I think about all this security? So, we identified that as a kind of common. Uh, common heavy lifting in IoT development. And that's why we built a a built-in secure remote access feature in our connectivity platform. Mm -hmm. When you use our uh, SIM card or SIM eSIM or our secure link service, it it always comes with the on-demand remote access feature. You can just select a device on our web console Mm -hmm. and request the remote access. And you can just use the standard remote access features such as SSH for Linux-based devices or remote desktop for Windows servers and maybe web interface uh, on uh, some uh, gateway devices. You can just request the access to the port and we can securely open the port only for you. And you can use a standard tool to access those devices. So once you can access those devices, you can run command and look at the log and troubleshoot. So that capability is really important. And also, firmware update capability. The... That's another thing right. that you should always think about. So, yeah, right. These are two. Uh, and that comes with the, ca- the caveat, though. Sorry, go ahead, Ryan.
1: It it comes with the it comes with the caveat, though, that uh, remote access. Uh, I remember our first iteration of handmade remote access, and it was leaving a port open. And that turned into not a good idea. All right, and so you know we're now in a world where security isn't isn't going to be getting any easier. Right, it's it's always just going to be more complex. So the 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 you know static IPs, um, anything that's a permanent hook, that's actually one of those unexpected long term you know pieces of technical debt that we're finding is that you know you leave a vulnerability like that open. You know, so it means thinking about things like VPNs, or uh, in in Kentas' case, you know that on-demand feature. It caps out at like eight hours or something like that. Like it, it won't be a. Per, it's not a persistent uh, uh, connection. So it's meant to be only as you need it, and then closing itself out. So even if you're building something from a support department or a, a product support, you know it's, it's it's incredibly important to think about. How you're kind of closing the door behind you, mm. and, and and not and not leaving a point of intrusion, because you know just as much as you don't want to have to drive out to all the locations and plug a USB in, you also don't want to have the PR uh, that comes with a security vulnerability. Right. And I think it's a it's an important exercise that everyone should be doing. If you don't have a security officer, is find someone who. Can help run through an audit or run through that scenario of what happens if, and I think that's a really important um, piece to think about. So, yeah, I mean, if you're doing ISO uh, twenty seven thousand one or ISO nine thousand or um, HIPAA or High Trust or you know some of these. Uh, other regulatory pieces or PCI DSS compliance. They're going to make you go through that anyways mm-hmm. and document it. So don't forget about those things either. <laughs> and you know, just like uh, having legal early on, I know QA right. really wants to be involved early on. Like bring sure. QA in right from the get-go. Bring legal in, bring security.
0: Right. No, I, I, I totally agree. You make some very good points. I think this, this conversation has been very... Very um, kind of eye opening, I think, to a lot of as a lot of people listen to this. It's going to be very eye opening because there's a lot of stages and different things that are challenges that change per stage. You need to be thinking about how to consider different different elements of it to really give yourself a chance of success. Which is part of the reason why I think you know, IoT is, to some, is viewed as, a, as quite a challenging um, uh, kind of solution to to incorporate into their business. But the conversation we're having here is shedding light on, I think, some really key areas to be focused on as you're bringing a solution to life whichever role that you're kind of playing in in, in that progress um I, I do have like another part of this conversation i want to get into but what i'm thinking we'll do is save this for another recording and talk kind of more about now that we know what these challenges are how do you really kind of successfully bring a product to market and go through those phases like more of the do's as opposed to the challenges right um but before I, I, I let you both go, I wanted to ask you, because this will go out obviously earlier in the year, potentially than our next conversation, um, what are you all kind of thinking about as far as 2023 ha- is set up for for the IoT space? You know, we're seeing AI kind of get a lot of conversation, which, Ryan, to your point earlier, kind of, kind of comes into that whole, you know, the shiny object like ChatGPT is, is how is that really playing a role um, but just just tell me a little bit of like uh, about kind of your thoughts on on where the industry is and where it's going this year, um, which I think will be kind of a good way to kind of wrap this conversation up.
2: Yeah, since we just talked about AI and also the uh, you know Ryan also mentioned the chat GPT, uh, you know the AI based data processing is already. Happening and it has been has, done, uh, uh, has been done uh, many times in uh, uh, two thousand twenty two as well. We have customers having the uh, camera devices in the field and uh, does the stream the video to the cloud backend and process them to. Uh, analyze the video and so that the people don't have to look at those things, surveillance camera, they can just get notified when the event happens. That kind of thing have been done and we have uh, a old uh, cool customer case studies around that. But now we are seeing the kind of next generation AI movement happening uh, like a, you know, chat GPT is happening and Google is now uh, launching a new right. uh, chat engine board. Um, so the one thing that I want to I want to. I will see. I think I will. We will see. Is that this morning we actually uh, talked about it? So maybe when you com- when it comes to like exploration phase, you want to try different ideas, and you know, some many ide- Most of the ideas are not gonna, going anywhere, but there are some uh, successful ones. In order to find them, you have to try many times and try different ideas. So, you know, when you try a different idea, developers have to write the code and try it and see how it goes. It can Mm -hmm. easily take days and weeks. But if you uh, can get use the um, chat GPT type of AI engine, you can just try an idea. Just talk to the AI and say, hey, I want to do this, make this happen when the button is clicked and they can actually write a code and deploy it. And we can, you know, of course, you know, in the production, you have to uh, look at the quality of the code and, you know, all the QA and testing, but for the prototyping phase, I think that can be a useful way to try different ideas in a short period of time and uh, get user feedback and build the right product. So uh, that kind of development process uh, will be possible, by having this next generation AI movement. And that can be applied Mm -hmm. for many scenarios in IoT as well, which makes me excited. Sure.
0: Good.
1: Ryan, what do you think? Well, I I heard two questions. One of them is the trend in 2023 and then AI. Uh, As far as the trends, this is an elephant in the room. We are going to see, this is me Babe Ruthing it, we are going to see a significant focus on where our components within our IOT devices are being sourced. Okay. There are already a lot of uh, lawyers, the, the legal counsel within large companies are now wanting to know the chain of custody for where devices are being manufactured, right? Are they being manufactured in China? Are they in Taiwan? Are they in Europe? And just knowing where things are coming from is very, very important. Consequently, there's also a significant amount of legislation and changes and data that are being implemented in 2023 that is around also data. Which state or national lines is data crossing? Even from a telecommunications perspective. Sure. Does my data stay within my country? I mean, we've already seen this with privacy. We saw it with the iPhone and and you know, you know, the all of the marketing metadata, but IoT data is just as much under scrutiny uh, for you know, does the data stay within the country that it's generated? So knowing these things are going to be questions that product managers are going to be asked, and they're either going to be on it, which I doubt, because we already just assume a global supply chain and a global economy and how this works. And again, this is just a trend, a trend just, it's not saying this is how it always is going to be. But we know in 2023, that these are things people are going to want to be thinking about is, mm-hmm. can I answer that question? know, right. Where's that chain of custody? As far mm-hmm. as artificial intelligence, I don't want to say that I'm bullish on it, but AI isn't anything really new. Mm-hmm. We're finding new mathematical ways of doing neuro linguistics. There's new ways of advanced learning models, but it's just machine learning. And, the one thing that AI is exceptional at is finding patterns in an immense sizes of data sets. But what this does mean is that we need to have access to data. Yep. And I think this is where the key, the hole that IOT fits, it's a very nice AI sized yep. shape, uh, mm-hmm. is that the Internet of Things is the ability to start filling in those data gaps. Yep. AI is useless if it's got a limited data set.
0: Totally agree with you. Um, it, I have a very similar view that it's the in order to or IoT is going to be the big enabler for enterprise AI because it needs to be able to collect AI need the AI, these AI models need that data and that's what IoT is about is collecting that data. So um, very good points. I think a lot a lot of interesting things to kind of look 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 at this year. Um, this conversation was fantastic. I really appreciate both you taking the time. Um, we haven't done a deep dive into the challenges and the way you kind of broke it up for us, Ryan is, is was very well understood. Um, so thank you for doing that. It's, um, and your all's perspective from, from each of the kind of angles you come from um, was very well received uh, on my side. So so thank you both for, for taking the time. Look forward to having you back. I want to dive further into some of these topics, give our audience some more insights into each of those stages and the things you should be doing in order to succeed and kind of give yourself the best chance of success, which which will be a lot of fun to kind of talk through as well. Um, but other than that, yeah, thank you
1: both so much and uh, appreciate you being here. Absolutely. Just wait for the 2.0 release of your product. That's where the fun really
2: starts. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Ryan.
0: All right, everyone. Thanks again for joining us this week on the IoT for All podcast on the IoT for All Media Network. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please leave us a rating or review and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on whichever platform you're listening to us on. Also, if you have a guest you'd like to see on the show, please drop us a note at Ryan at iotforall.com and we'll do everything we can to get them as a featured guest. Other than that, thanks again for listening and we'll see you next time.